every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Megan Eisenberg, CMO of TripActions, the only modern all-in-one travel, corporate card, and expense solution providing over 7,500 customers around the globe unprecedented visibility and control over spend. Megan is a transformational leader, advisor, and marketer, managing global businesses ranging from startups to mid-market and Fortune 500 companies. She was recently named top 50 most retweeted by mid-sized marketers according to Adweek, and top 25 for B2B marketing influencers. In this episode, Megan shares her insights on how to increase revenue with sales and marketing alignment, the power of the sales marketing road warrior, and how to shift from reactive to proactive marketing. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. You can intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding the signals, buying intent, and having real-time conversations right on your website. You can learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Megan Eisenberg, CMO of TripActions, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today I am joined by a special guest. Megan, how are you? I'm doing well. Great to have you on the show. First time on this show, we've chatted in the past through the ups and downs of the past two years, but I'm super excited to, to talk with you today, hear everything about the goings on at Trip Actions, and you're one of my favorite marketers. So excited to get into it today. But first, what was your first job in Demand Gen? Yeah, my first real job in Demand Gen was back in 2007. I was at a company called Tririga, and we were selling workplace management systems. I had about a team of 12 salespeople and a couple people in marketing. And I uh, also managed our SDR team, which was three people. And so flash forward to today, tell us what it means to be CMO TripActions. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, we've come a long way. Uh, as a CMO, I've got near 70 people on my team from a marketing standpoint. And I now also run the SDR organization, which is a team of 50, and we're growing it to 125 in the next six months. So a lot of hiring for SDRs going on. Wow. Okay. So I definitely want to get really into that. That's fascinating. Let's get into our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given... You are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? This is where you can go and feel honest and trusted and share those deepest, darkest demand gen yeah. and marketing secrets. What does TripActions do? Yeah, so TripActions is an all-in-one travel, corporate cards, and expense management solution. So your full suite of t and &E. And who are your target customers? Who are the folks that you're looking to market to? Yeah, so we are all the way from self-serve to enterprise. So we have Zoom, Netflix, Okta, Adobe, Thomson Reuters, Crate and Barrel, 
Wayfair. So we've got retail, manufacturing, tech, and it's global. So Primark, all around the world, we're supporting people in their travels and expense management. And who's the buying committee for, for Trip Actions? Yeah, our target, really our main persona is the CFO because they typically are managing the budgets for travel and procurement. They care a lot about the accounting side of it. So the closing of the books every month and quarter and making sure that policy is enforced. And even more today, a lot of them are managing people and have a a people role. And so they care a lot about safety of their employees while they're traveling around the world. So yeah, the finance accounting departments. You know, it's funny, travel affects, as we've seen over the past two years, it probably disproportionately affects sales and marketing, right? It's such, we're such key stakeholders in this. Is that something that you're aware of, acknowledging and all that sort of stuff? Or is it something that sales at the end of the day, it doesn't matter quite as much to them and it's ultimately CFO's call? No, you're right. I mean, our road warriors pull us into deals all the time and we'll have heavy travelers, CROs and heads of sales that have used us at a prior company and go to the next company that doesn't have us and they'll pull us in. So it's great demand gen for us, actually, that kind of bottoms up referral side of it. When you have like that type of key stakeholder, how do you think about marketing to that person? Is that someone that you're thinking about that your team is thinking about? I mean, for sure, we think about it every day. We've designed the product around the user and the traveler. And our co-founders are very fixated on the user experience. And we think that's more important than anything else. Because if you don't have adoption of your travel program and your spend and corporate card, and and they're not complying with policy, you don't have a great program. And so with high adoption, you get what you want. You get visibility into the spend. You get a lot more control. And you get cost savings. So yes, we care deeply about the traveler and the road warriors is specifically sales marketing. How do you structure your marketing organization? Yeah, I have it structured functionally. So I have certainly a demand gen team or growth team. I've got a web systems and operations team. We are heavy dependent on technology, over 40 different technologies that integrate with our Salesforce and CRM. I've got a field marketing and events team, which has come back in full force. It was it was a little anemic during COVID, as you can imagine, but we're thriving and events are back. And I've got a corporate communications PR social media team. I have a brand and design, very much focused on our visual identity. And then I have a team that is localizing everything to the different geographies. So I have an EMEA marketing team that matrixes into the other functions. And how do you think about demand? You mentioned that you might call it growth. How do you think about demand within your marketing strategy? I see demand as us aligning with sales teams on our targets. What are the goals? What do we have to hit? How does that break down? What are we going to be sourcing and managing the SDR team? You know, large part of their pipeline and funnel is going to be coming from the demand go-to-market organization of marketing and sales development. Really, that's a key part of success, sales alignment. Do you have a specific demand gen strategy? How do you think about that? Back to that point, what are our sales targets? What do I need to align? What are the segments we're going after? Enterprise is a very different go-to-market than self-serve or even SMB. And so I break down the targets by the segments because we're going after all those segments. And then I apply the budget and the focus of the different members based on 
their targets. And then we run the programs that make the most sense. We have the web experience match the segments as they're coming in. And that's kind of how I think about it. All right, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are uncuttable budget items? It depends if it's enterprise versus commercial or self-serve. So if I think about the enterprise side, I'm thinking a lot about account-based marketing. What are those named accounts we're going after and what do we need to surround them? And that's flushing out the target, the ICP, the CFO, the controller, the finance procurement, and where do they go for information? So that's content syndication, that's direct mail, that's creating these interesting engagement events that they can network with their peers. We did a really amazing office hours during COVID. It started out weekly and and then went to biweekly and then now once a month. And we had over 75 CFOs joining. And we weren't talking about Trip Actions products, we were talking about what they need to do in the current environment. How are they budgeting with the unknown? How are they dealing with empty office spaces? And so we brought in topics and we brought in customers to speak and then a bunch of prospects joined and just shared ideas. And we we really developed a thought leadership and brand with CFOs in topics that they cared about. So then when they were looking at their RFP or going to bring on a travel solution or expense management, we were top of mind. That's so fascinating. Can we dig into that for a second? Sure. It's always so scary starting an initiative like that, right? What if I do this and two people show up, one person shows up, right? I'm curious, like early days of that, before you had 70 people, how did you think about trying to like prime the pump there to make sure that that people actually showed up? We already had customer advisory boards of 20 20 of them. So uh, I, I was surprised, I would say, how many showed up to the first one. But it was such an odd time, right? People were working remote. They had these big budgets for T&E. They weren't sure what that was going to look like. They had empty offices. They're trying to figure out, do I downsize? How long is this going to go on for? What tools are using? We have all the software. Do we need more? Do we need less? They ended up needing more, right? Because everyone was remote and uh, everything was going online. I think if you have a topic that is relevant and everyone has questions, you're going to get the audience. I think it comes back to, do you have the right content? And then are they aware that you're talking about it? And so we had our influencers, which were cabs. We had our own CFO inviting colleagues. We had our sales leaders connecting with their prospects and inviting their CFOs. And we had our customer success managers reaching out to our customers and making sure they were aware of it. Those coming together, right content with right target audience and a compelling email and phone call is is what it takes. You know, it's funny, not for the CFO, this is something a little different, but we did something like that for CIOs. We talked to this one CIO and he was like, the question I get all the time is like, how do I appear on more boards? Like, I want to be on public boards and I never get asked. And like, I want to do that. And he was saying, he's like, I get this no joke, one person a week reaches out to me to ask how to be on more public boards. And so we did an episode of a podcast about it. And like, that's the sort of thing that if you were making your content calendar, you would never make that be a piece of content, right? How can CIOs be on more public boards? It just wouldn't come up, right? But if you actually talk to people and figure out what people are asking for, then you can start to make it. 
Yes. I mean, go, the best thing to do is go ask your CIO, what do they care about and what do they do? I mean, certainly we went to our CFO, Thomas, and said, what, what's top of mind for you right now? What are you concerned about? What would, what would you want to join to talk about? I'm curious how you dealt with that. CFO is obviously very busy people and they get pulled in a lot of kind of different directions. So I'm curious, like as you were making those asks, how did you kind of handle those requests to make sure that you weren't overburdening, but also adding value? I think it's key, the relationship you have with the CSM. So the customer success manager, we certainly track all our customers and our advocates and where they're at and if they're open to quotes for press releases, case studies, videos. And so we can see how much we've interacted. But I think in this case, we felt like we were adding value. And so it didn't feel like we're burdening anyone. We're actually trying to bring them something they care about and and be a resource to them. Yeah, totally. It's always so tough making an additional ask. Seemingly on our team, we feel like as marketers or the PR team, especially, they always feel like it's like it's an extra ask. And I think it's we feel that way sometimes because we feel a little like, ah, maybe this is kind of lame or maybe this isn't whatever. When you're asking someone, you, you just talk to your CFO and you're like, yeah, I would love to meet my peers and talk about blank. It's like they probably feel the same way. And if they don't, then they'll opt out of it. But there's a lot of people who want to hear from their peers. There always is. I also think it matters. I mean, we have high NPS scores. We have high adoption. We have high customer satisfaction. We take very good care of our travelers and our customers. And so... I think if you don't have that, it could be a harder ask. But if you're adding real value, they're part of that community and they're going to be more than happy to help you when you need their help. Yeah, that's a great point. Any other things that like surprised you about that? Again, like getting 70 plus CFOs together is no small feat. Yeah, I mean, I think we were smart too. We didn't allow media in. Mm -hmm. We didn't allow sales in. We weren't recording it and posting it externally. So it was truly a group coming together, feeling very comfortable discussing relevant topics. And so we protected that space. And then after that, taking those insights, did you turn that into additional content and things? Certainly. If a topic came up that surprised us, we would write further content on it or a blog, or we would go do research. We would come back. We didn't use it as lead gen. We didn't like follow up and say, hey, you attended. Now we want to sell to you. We were very careful about that. But we certainly found within two months, three months, prospects ended up coming to us, asking and, and meeting with sales and wanting to learn more and buying. And so sometimes it's that building of rapport and brand that helps you in, in the future. So I think that's a big part of it when you're, you're creating content. It's not always the immediate. It, it's how you're, you're building your brand. We did a lot of things like that during COVID. We thought, okay, right now, a lot of people aren't thinking they need to buy travel solution, but how can we be useful? And we built out a university with courses because we figured when travel managers came back, they would want to be the best at what they could do. And then we also created courses for finance and they could get certified and we brought real value to those courses. And as you took and gained knowledge, you also learned about us as a company. And so we tried to add value that way. We created a community so people could go in real time and ask any questions they were having. And so we had content for finance, content for travel managers and procurement. And for our suppliers and partners, they were on there. So if you had a question, uh, airline questions or hotel questions, they were in there answering what were COVID rules. We created a bunch of information around COVID dashboards. We integrated with Sherpa. And so that kind of value 
for all the unknowns to get them the resources in one place really brought us stronger in our relationship with our clients and future prospects. I love that. Just doubling down, such a cool, powerful concept when people are needing the resources most to double down on that. Any other uncuttable budget items that you had over the past year? Uncuttable. Certainly events went away, so that got cut right away. And, and really budget went away when you're in travel. So we, we were very specific in, in what where we spent our money. But the things that got sort of the, the best type of response was still direct mail. Very targeted and we had to figure out where they were. They weren't in offices. Now people are back more in offices. But that sort of surprise and delight we did for our customers, we did a picnic basket, like get outside because we were all at home. And we know sunshine is great for the vitamin D and soul and everything else. So we sent picnic baskets out and just encouraged people to, we called it Project Sunshine, get some sun. We saw a great response. We did this, well, I would say... The worst thing we did and the best thing we did, we had created this program around alpacas and and all packed and ready to go. Well, of course, nobody was traveling, so that got put on hold. But as we've come out now, we've sent these out now, and it's amazing the response we're getting with it. People love it. They're having fun with this gold alpaca on their desk, some fun travel stickers for their laptop. It's just sort of this fun human thing. And so I wouldn't be hesitant to get rid of direct mail because there's a lot of noise in all the channels online. And that's one thing that if it shows up at your home or out on your desk, that gives a response and emotion and you just don't throw it away. You're curious who sent it? What is it? So yeah, I think those are things you shouldn't get rid of. Any insights there on what what CFOs like to show up in the inbox? I don't know if you can share your, your trade secrets there. Oh, as far as direct mails? Yeah. I mean... We've done lots of different things, even things like succulents. They're a living thing that's easy to ship that you wouldn't throw away because you feel like you're throwing a living thing away. So branding the base and it sets on their desk. Those are types of things that get opened. We sent chocolates. We've sent those sort of fun things. We sent sunblock, like go take a personal vacation. Oh, that's Here's funny. Sunblock, right? That's a great um, one because you're definitely going to use yeah. it. Well, yes. Yeah. The sunblock and then put it in a branded trip actions bag. You're going to use it. It's clever. It ties to it. And who's not happy when they get sunblock? That means you're going to go outside. Maybe you're going to go on vacation. It's just those sort of things. And chocolate. Who doesn't love chocolate? That's a really, really good one. The, the things that are consumable are always a great one to send people because they're going to use it, right? That's why like food and drink is, is such a great thing. I got one at the beginning of the pandemic. I got one of those little letter boards. And I ended up using it when my wife got pregnant. And so we had all of our like baby things on there. And it's like this, it's like this branded thing that I got sent. And it's like, we always joked about it. And we're like, our baby is presented by Procore. That's fun. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like one of those fun things. You said that events are coming back. They're roaring back. Travel, obviously roaring back. Everyone's excited to get the heck out of Dodge. How are you thinking about investing in events going forward? Has anything changed for you? I mean, we're we're going after it. We're certainly going to be present at events where CFOs are at and finance and accounting. We're going to be present at tech events, early adopters. So yeah, we've got a, a full lineup of events this year. A lot of them are in the fall, as they naturally are, and they're global. And we, we know we see our customers traveling. They're going to sales kickoffs. 
They're going to company meetings. A lot of people have had their folks remote, so they're bringing them together for team meetings and offsites. And we have a team travel product that's supporting that and making it easy for people and meetings and events through our Rita Mackay side of it. I think we've seen a lot of best practices in this environment as people are getting back and ready to get together. I also think that people that are online for too long, there's no loyalty. Your teams are poachable. If they haven't come into an office and if you've never met them, I don't know how you've got that much loyalty there. And so I think it's smart for the ones that are getting their people together. And certainly we've seen it. We have people back in the office and we don't see high attrition from that. In fact, we see happier engagement scores as people are coming back together. Great advice. If you haven't seen them in person, they're liable to be poached. That's great advice. It's also a time for people to to interface with your brand, right? Those yeah. moments when you at an event or they interact with you or they experience it, there's nothing that solidifies that relationship. When we ran our annual company event, we did traverse with our partners and suppliers. Just that engagement matters a lot in, in loyalty and retention. I'm curious, part of marketing, obviously, getting your marketing folks out there to listen to the market, to be talking to people, getting those insights from sales, but also doing it yourself and talking to people. But budgets, figuring out how to get marketing people. Is that something you would recommend for CMOs? Is like, hey, get your marketing people out there in the real world and go into events so that they can be learning more? Because it seems like how we went to market two years ago versus how we're doing it now with hybrid and all this other stuff is really changing and probably important to get an azimuth check there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things. One, we have a software called Chorus.ai. Your marketers should be listening to sales calls. They are recorded. There's some good learnings. You can ask your best sales reps what calls would make sense. And I'm definitely on the product marketing team all the time. Get close to the customer. You're going to understand their pain, why they're buying. You're going to create better sales enablement content. And so that's an example of online and the ability to get in front of them. I also tell them, get on the calls. When sales is calling, they should want you on those calls. You're so invaluable. You have such great domain knowledge. You should be on those. And then you're right, in person, there's nothing better than getting out and meeting your customers in person, understanding them, what they need. We were just at South by Southwest in Austin, and we were targeting startups. We have our self-serve product. Nothing better than going out there and showing them your liquid card and buying them a coffee and the automatic expensing and showing them the cool app and how it works and how you didn't have to deal with the receipts and then listening to their feedback and how they interact and having people come by and do demos. You want to you boost your marketing team, make sure they can give a demo and talk to the value prop and making sure they're listening how the SDR team gives the demo or sales and how can we tweak it, improve it, where are the hiccups in, in that demo that we need to, to smooth out. So yes, nothing beats in person, getting close to your customers. You mentioned self-serve. This is obviously a huge, huge deal for you all to have this self-serve motion. It's also much better than most that totally different go-to-market than what you do in enterprise. How did you think about building this this muscle both internally, but also building that self-serve motion? Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot about product-led growth and how you're partnering with the product team. What is that really understanding the flow once you capture someone's attention, understanding just your site traffic and how you're getting in front of people and driving awareness. So when I think about it, 
self-serve. A lot of it's the marketing motion, but it's also a growth partnering closely with the product and optimizing that experience. It's partnering with your PR and comms. It's where you place your awareness. Where are startups that would want self-serve? Are you getting in front of the WeWorks of the world and making sure they're aware of your offering for their startups and, and how you partner? Are you doing stuff at Saster and these events that have a lot of startups? Are you going to startup communities in Atlanta and Salt Lake City and certainly Silicon Valley, Silicon Slopes, Silicon Alley? I mean, there's tons of startup communities around the world and making sure they're aware that you have this ability to sign up and address their needs as a startup. So I thought a lot about how do we get it out there that and aware? What's the experience like? Once you go to those targeted communities of startups, what does paid search look like as people are looking for these solutions in that segment? What technology are you using on your website to segment? We use Clearbit and some of these others that let us know a little bit more about who's visiting our site, making sure the offering's appropriate to them. But also, if they come in through a channel, can they quickly get in front of sales? Because as they go up market, it's a better experience for larger companies to partner and have a sales assist and really structure the solution around what they need. And so very clearly aligning around segments, what route they go, what the flow is, what the handoff is, and the follow-up. I just signed up right now. Oh, took nice. T- t- took two seconds. I love it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll get some liquid cards to our leaders. Yeah, I'd love the feedback too, where if you see something that we could adjust or that you learned in the process, but I love it. Yes. But it is funny. I mean, Caspian, we've been for the past two years, pretty much 100% in the proverbial lab here making podcasts, but we don't really go anywhere, right? Like we've had producers that go here and there to different events and stuff like that to report on different things. But when you get those expense reports or when you get those expenses back and you're like, man, I really wish that I didn't have to deal with this. And that's like one or two things, but it's like, it is one of those startup concerns that when you hit that moment where you say, okay, we're going back on the road or going on the road for the first time, it's like, what should we do here? Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about liquid is it's T&E travels about 70%, but the other 30% is purchase. So you can use the card to buy microphones, office equipment. You can use it to buy software, FedEx and shipping. And, and so there's a lot of different things. Any sort of spend, paid search dollars, you can actually use liquid for our corporate card. And so we focused a lot on those use cases in the past two years. But you're right. Now that people are back on the road, we're focused a lot on the travel side of it. Mentioned a little bit some of the investments in your website. You have a phenomenal website. I love just from a branding perspective and the drop downs and how like colorful and all the stuff. It's very cool. I'm curious, how do you view your website? How important is your website? I mean, I think it's pretty important, probably the most important thing for a marketing team. It's where people go to validate who you are, learn about you. It's a huge funnel, a lead generator. Are you global? Are you secure? When you're trying to hire, employment branding is there, getting in, bringing in talent. Our customers come to log in. Instead of going to app.tripactions.com, half to, more than half of them are just typing tripactions.com and then they log in. So you need to have it render right away. It has to be a great experience. It has to really visually show your identity and brand. It's a very important touch point. It needs to be searchable, SEO optimized, you name it. It's one of the first things I really look at when I join a company 
and figure out what the plan is to take it to the next level. But it's really crucial for everything the company does to operate. And especially like, as we've talked about a bunch, when you have enterprise and you have SMB on the same site, right? It's like, those experiences are so different. What you want, if a CFO comes to Trip Actions versus Ian from Caspian Studios, it's, you want to make sure that, that those people have separate paths that, that get them to where they want to go. It's true, yes. What is one thing that maybe you're not investing in or something that might be fading away a little bit? It's an interesting question. Sometimes I look and come in and out of those different social channels, right? So for a while, I was trying to figure out how does Snapchat play in this? What should I be doing from a B2B standpoint? Then you look at TikTok. I tried to get my team learning TikTok, try the new thing. How do we leverage that for our business? And we did some fun things for that, but I don't know that it it's as important as things like LinkedIn, like Facebook any anymore, or like even Twitter. It's interesting. I think you could segment different age groups by the different social platforms. So it depends on your target audience. Some folks are not on Twitter and Facebook, and some folks are certainly are. I, I'm always shocked when I don't find someone on LinkedIn. And then I realized that I'm 46 years old, and that might not be a thing being used by mid-20s and 30s. It's it just, you got to figure out where your target audience is going to get information and market. And so those sort of channels, I'm always watching in awe of and trying to be creative in how we represent ourselves and who we're trying to reach. Yeah, it's such a big difference between where you spend some advertising dollars versus where you want to create content for. And that's like, hey, if you want to spend a bunch of money to create a TikTok account that's doing millions of impressions and stuff. I've heard businesses do really well, get tons and tons of impressions and stuff like that from creating pretty simple stuff on TikTok. But at the end of the day, is that where you want to be investing your time and your effort versus pretty much everybody's on Instagram? And yes, right. But it's like, yeah, it's great if they're sitting at their house at nine o'clock at night and doom scrolling on Instagram. And I can remind them that trip actions exist. Like that's great. But do I need to sit there and cultivate a brand account that has viral Instagram content? Maybe not. I think it'd be cool as when I think about how you would integrate these tools with trip action specifically as a travel tool, let's say like next week I'm going to Berlin and I'm going to meet with the SDR team and we acquired a company come Travo, but it would be great if it was somehow my account was integrated and in Instagram and maybe even Facebook, I start to see cool things about Berlin maybe restaurants I should be going to, that kind of experience that would tie me to the Trip Actions brand. But it's it's personalized because they know I've got, I've allowed them to do that, but they know I'm going to Berlin. And those are interesting things that I care about when I get there. And and how, how often could we, we do that and really make this impression through these platforms that people are on that are visual, right? Travel is very visual. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You mentioned the SDRs. I'm so curious. Some people are of a mind that marketing should own them. Some people that sales should uh, should own them. But I'm curious, like you're investing heavily in SDRs. You're hiring a bunch. How do you manage SDRs? Yeah, I mean, our SDRs are aligned to our sales segments. So we've got a team that's focused on enterprise. We have a team that's focused on mid-market growth. And then certainly regional. And then we've got a team focused on the DOC region and France and then UK, UKI. 
And so we're hiring based on our sales targets and, and the support and the pipeline targets that we need. And then I see them just as I see sales, they need to be enabled. They are a very critical part of our funnel. I don't think companies give enough time to their SDR qualification teams. If they're converting at 30% versus 10%, that's huge. And if they're great, they're well-trained, they're qualifying, and they're setting up, can you shorten the sales cycle of your sales team, measuring the success of the sales cycle based on how they're prepping a prospect or an account so you can get productivity, great productivity with reps. And I think they're also part of driving awareness. If they're emailing, I don't know, 300 people a day and calling 100 and you're getting the word out, it's another very important channel that you're out there, especially I think for startups and small businesses that you're trying to get in front of and having that research that they're doing to get in front of that size accounts and then targeting the right people. Yeah, just the energy of your SDR team. And I love the organization and the energy and the hunger that they have. It's a tough job. And I think you learn some really relevant skills. You're learning about our prospects, our customers. You're learning about our product. You're doing demos. Yeah, I love it. Our Austin office is in there in five days a week. Dublin's in five days a week. And just when I, I was in Austin two weeks ago and I was in Dublin last week and just the energy of those teams and, and what they do and the, the sharing of knowledge that they're doing in, in the office, I think is really important to their success. So the loaded question here, do you think marketing should own SDRs? I think it's half and half. I think half the time it sits under sales and half the time it sits under marketing. Honestly, I don't care where. I think it's an important part of the funnel and that if it, for me, it usually sits under sales, but either way, I'm enabling them. I'm building their content. I'm measuring. I'm looking at conversion rates. I'm trying to figure out how do I get more of inbound through them? How do I get them more out in the market, giving air cover for our reps? And so I've always focused from a metrics and enablement and productivity standpoint on that organization. So I think wherever you put it, as long as you give it the focus and time, I think the wrong thing to do is make it a recruiting arm. I think they're truly the best teams are set up to optimize and bring in qualified pipelines should be their number one thing. And then of course, they want to typically be in sales or CS after they do that. And so making sure whether they sit in marketing or sales, they have that path to develop themselves in their career. Let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or anyone else. Megan, have you had a memorable dust-up in your career? I mean, I always like to think the, the, the competition's outside the company and that I love competing. I like going after markets. I think competition's healthy. It keeps us on our toes. I think it's what makes marketing and sales exciting. It's a competitor will make a move and then you need to make a move and you'll build something in the product and they'll build it. And so I do think that's part of a market and what makes it fun. As far as conflict internally, I think it's a great way to get to know people is how you address and deal with conflict and actually think it builds stronger teams. If I look at, we had the biggest conflict of our life at a travel company, COVID, how the executive team came together and we're very focused 
on what we were going to do. We had to streamline. We had to be lockstep. And I will tell you, I have very close relationships with the team that I went through this with. My marketing team, we downsized, and then I've just hired 35 people this past year. We had to go down, and now we're building back up. But that team that went through that moment in time, I feel very close to. I, I feel like they're highly skilled. If you can sell a travel solution during a pandemic, you can market and sell anything. So we've got some really impressive salespeople and marketers. And I, I feel like this year's the reward of that because now we've got inbound back. People are traveling. They're coming to us for it's so much easier to be marketing and selling in this environment than it was the last two years. But it made us really refine our outbound motion and our compelling story and our positioning, we just got much better in all of that just by survival. And we really understand the value we bring to our customers. So yeah, I think the dust up is, is going through conflict and challenges with the team and, and how strong you become coming out of that. There's going to be the most amazing case study at the end of this from you all. It's truly, truly fascinating. And I'm, I'm excited to follow along over the coming quarters to see how you capture all of the value that you created during some absolutely brutal times. Yeah. I mean, we went up market, we targeted enterprise and it really, we brought in a lot more logos in the enterprise space, which really validated us as a, a player, a serious player in the market and allowed us to do self-serve all the way up to enterprise and really push and, and strengthen the product and the different use cases and yeah, I actually think we'll come out of this stronger as a travel company because it knocked out a lot of the weaker players that didn't have the right product, didn't have the right funding and didn't get their burn down. And it weakened the legacy players because they had so much heavy infrastructure. And I would say fat that they had to deal with. We were nimble. We invested in the right places. We got our burn down and our engineers could build on very modern tech stack. And so we were able to build product that was necessary in the moment and the future. Fascinating. Yeah, that's just that's just incredible stuff. I'm excited to, to see what's next here. Okay, let's get to our final segment, quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how quickly you can talk to somebody if you go to qualified.com. This show is presented by Qualified. There are best friends in the whole world and you can talk to your prospects and customers quickly on your website with qualified, quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Megan, are you ready? Yes. Number one, what's a hidden talent or skill that is not on your resume? Ah, I think execution. I am pretty great at you give me the goal that you want, figuring out how to go after it and execute on it. What is your favorite book, podcast, TV show that you've been checking out recently? I mean, one that keeps coming up is The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which was really relevant, I think, during the last two years, but it gave me a deep appreciation for the role of the CEO. Do you have a favorite non-marketing hobby that maybe sort of indirectly kind of makes you a better marketer? Well, I mean, I have four dogs. Uh, I have three French bulldogs and a Great Dane, and I don't know if it makes me a better marketer, but it certainly... I feel makes me a better human and empathy. And I think they're a joy. What advice do you have for a first time CMO who's trying to figure out their marketing strategy? 
One, come in and ask and listen. Ask a lot of questions and listen, but talk to not only your team, but the sales team and just ask for feedback on what people think needs to be done. And it'll be interesting what you hear back and you'll be able to quickly formulate where you where you think you want to focus just by collecting that sort of intel. And then I would make sure to align. My second thing would be align with your sales leader and your product leader because product launches and what's coming is really going to be formed the story and the vision and the direction the company's going. And sales needs to, you really need to understand what they need to be successful to get pipeline and, and close business. If you weren't in marketing or business at all, what do you think you'd be doing? I hope I was. I, I would be hanging out with my kids and my dogs. I have three kids, four dogs. And yeah, that's what I would be doing. Megan. Thank you so much for joining today. We really appreciate it. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Yeah, I mean, we talked about self-serve, tripactions.com. But the other thing is we at this on that same site at the very top in the banner, if anyone wants an easy way to donate to Ukraine, we have a whole resource center with great companies that can facilitate the funds to, to really help the refugees and what's going on in that situation. Amazing. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. And take care. Thank you. The ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.